Well, good to see you. Welcome to Risen Life. We're glad you've chosen to worship with us this morning. It's so good to worship together. And we are all about trying to spread the good message of Jesus who loved us and gave his life for us and rose again and is our hope when we give our lives to him and promises an eternity with him if we will trust him as our Savior. And we want to spread that message not only here but also around the globe. And we've got the Guatemala team with us this morning. So I'm going to invite the Guatemala team to come up, at least a portion of them. I understand there's 19 of them going to Guatemala here in June. And uh, that's a big group. I think that's our biggest team that's gone. And uh, we have a church down there we team with. And uh, they've had pastors up here with us. And we're going down there to help them. And so we get to, to work together. Come up on stage, yeah. And what's exciting to me is not only that we are going, but the enthusiasm for reaching lost people that these people bring to us today, right here. They're, they're going through quite a bit of the pregame stuff. You know, you kind of do the pregame and then you do the game. And the game's in June, but they're doing a lot of pregame things, and they're going to lead us in some really cool evangelism in our area. And so I'm really thrilled for all the things they're doing. So Jared's going to share a little bit, and, and Jared and Sean are leading the way in this, and uh, so Jared's going to share a little bit of what we're doing. Yeah, this is our uh, a privilege to go down there for a for fourth trip for Sean, me, my second, and uh, we're excited. So what we do when we go down to Guatemala is we're partnering with Iglesia Galilea, which is the church down there, and Tono was here uh, earlier this year, and we're going to go down there and build a couple houses for people in underprivileged areas as well as work on their churches. We're going to do a VBS for one of the schools that they run. And we're also going to do some street evangelism, walking around to houses and giving invites uh, with the gospel to Iglesia Galilea, talking to those that we meet on the street. So to prepare for that, we've been meeting every month. and We've been learning about evangelism, uh, talking about what we're going to do and, and, and all these sort of things since uh, back in December. So these guys have already put in a lot of good work. Uh, and this Thursday, as you heard, we're going to do an evangelism event with Redeeming Life in Rose Park, which we're inviting you to join us with. So we're going to meet at Brian's house. If you want to go, let me know, and we can get you the address at 530. And we're going to walk around and do door hangers, inviting people to their uh, all their Easter services that they're, they're having, pray for houses, talk to people who we meet. And then we're going to practice eating for Guatemala by going to a taco truck on uh, North Temple. That'll be exciting, get our stomachs prepared. And then uh, then we're going to go to Mestizos, which is a coffee house down there on North Temple where they have on Thursdays the largest gathering of atheists in the state of Utah. And so we're going to sit there and do a little Bible study. And then we're going to go out and do some street evangelism on North Temple and pray for people. So if that interests you, we would love to have you with us. In fact, I challenge you to come with us and come uh, experience a little bit of evangelism, grow in our evangelism as a church and as a team. You guys can help us by praying for our team uh, and supporting us as well. If you want to hear more about Guatemala, talk to any one of these guys, ask how you can pray for them or support them, and they would be more than happy to talk to you. So let's uh, let's get behind the team and let's uh, support them prayerfully and financially and encourage them along the way, okay? So good to have you guys with us this morning. Thanks for coming. Well, we continue in our series on in Mark this morning. I invite you to turn to chapter 14. 
Uh, I woke up this morning, you know, it used to be on daylight savings change time, you could sort of excuse yourself for being an hour late because you had to turn your clocks ahead, you know, and if you didn't, you got up an hour late and you got your full sleep and you were happy and you just said, oh, I forgot to turn my clocks ahead. But these days, the electronic world doesn't let us get away with that. It changes for us in the middle of the night on its own, right? Who woke up to do that? Who did that to us? And so here we are. But so I woke up at 5.30 yesterday's time this morning, and I feel like it. You know, that's amazing what that one hour does to you. I feel my human weakness. And uh, in fact, that's what this text is about this morning, is, is our weakness as people and God's strength as he comes along as our Savior and our guide and our hope and our salvation and, and so here we go this morning, and, and so we're going to look at this sermon, this little text. It's, it's quite a famous text of Peter and his weakness and his big promises and his boasts and, and all of our failures. Here it is. Go God's plan and Peter's boast in the first little section, and then Jesus' perseverance and the disciples' weakness, and then Jesus' steadfastness and the disciples' desertion, and then finally uh, our great and amazing Savior who's faithful to the end here to carry us through. So there's the outline this morning. And so we'll just turn to Mark chapter uh, 14 and we will follow that pattern again as we look at God's strength even in the middle of our our weakness. Let's pray. Father, open this word now to you, uh, to us, God, by your spirit. Guide us as we think. God, please speak to us by your grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It says, verse 26, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, This very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all, all the disciples said the same. Now, what's unique about this first paragraph is the number of times the word I appears. There's a lot of statements about what I will do, both from God's side and from Peter's side. God says, I will do this. I will strike the shepherd. The sheep will be scattered. I will go to Galilee and gather you. That's what I'm going to do. I will rise again. That's what God says he will do. And then here's what Peter says he will do, right? I will stay with you, Jesus. I will not deny you. Even if you die and I must die, I will go with you, right? So there's all the eyes, right? God says, this is what I will do. And what does God do? He does it. Just as he said. Peter says, here's what I will do. And what does Peter do? None of what he says he'll do. Zero. Right? He gets zero on his report card. Uh, in a really, really sad, discouraging way. And that is a picture, one more time, of God's strength and our, our weakness. It's a reminder to us that we all are made of the same stuff that Peter is made of. That we all carry in us the weakness of the flesh. This text says that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is is weak. And we need to be so cautious about what we say we will do and what boasts we make. Oh, we want to make them, and with good intention and with good hearts. You know, I want to tell my friends and I want to tell my wife and I want to tell my kids, I won't fail you anymore. I have failed you thousands of times. I'm done with that. I won't fail you anymore. 
Right? No, but they'll be like Peter. If I do that, I'm going to be done by, you know, 7 o'clock in the morning. Oh, I've already failed them. And, and that's who we are. We are people who are weak in our own flesh. And so we need to be so cautious. Uh, I think it's one of the hardest things about being human is that every day I walk through life knowing that I'm going to fail people. I'm going to sin when I don't want to. I'm going to get unhealthy and get sick and have to stay in bed now and then. I mean, all these things, it just, it's, a, it's, it's hard to be human. I said that to my wife. I was walking through, through Walmart this week and I, and I said to my wife, this is, it's just hard being human because I'm weak and I don't like it, right? But it is the way it is and it is the truth and so I need to embrace where God has me because he says when I am weak, then I'm strong in him, right? God likes us when we're weak so that we'll find our strength in him. And in fact, now, as we look at this text of what God says he will do, it shows us how we find our strength. You know, it, it says, the first thing God says he's going to do in this text, he says, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Isn't that interesting? You know, I would say to us in general, right, as a general rule, we ought not to be striking God's shepherds. We shouldn't do that. That's a bad thing to do. That will cause trouble. The sheep will be scattered. Harm is done. But in this particular case, notice, this is exactly what God does. He strikes the shepherd. That's a pretty strong statement, isn't it? I remember back in 2004 when the, the movie The Passion of the Christ came out. And, and probably most in this room have seen this movie of Jesus' crucifixion. And there was a great debate that broke out in Hollywood over that movie. Because it said it depicts the Jews as the one who killed Jesus. And therefore it's going to breed anti-Semitism. Remember this? And they were really concerned and really upset that it showed the Jews. Now look it. <laughs> there's a whole lot of blame to go around in all kinds of places for Jesus' death. The most evil, criminal, worst act done by humanity was done to Jesus in that day. And it was the Jews in part, it was the Romans in part, it was the people in part, and frankly, it was you and I in part that killed Jesus, wasn't it? But I want you to see and I want you to know and I want you to understand that the major player in Jesus' death is God. God strikes the shepherd. And it was a striking of love for you and I because we deserve death. And the only way for God to pardon us was to have His Son bear the penalty of the death we deserved. And so in love, God strikes the shepherd and he dies for our sins and then raises him triumphantly over sin and death that you and I can have salvation through personal faith in him. It says God is the one who gave his son that whoever would believe in him. Isaiah 53.10 says he is the one. It was God's will. It pleased the father to bruise his son. And yet God faithfully uses that act now to bring us to salvation, to actually strengthen us. You know, the, the, it says the, the sheep would be scattered, but then they would be gathered again in Galilee. And then the Holy Spirit would come and would fill them. And, and now one billion people follow Jesus out of that group of people because the shepherd was struck by God, the people were shattered, scattered, God gathered them, filled them with His Spirit, and sent them out with the message of salvation. It's a powerful, 
powerful story and a reminder to us that sometimes God takes us through things that scatters us, but only to it later gather us, strengthen us, and do things in us through the hard time to make us more useful for his kingdom. Now, there's God's plan, Peter's boast, God's strength in our weakness. Now, second point is that we see Jesus now in his perseverance as disciples, again, are, are weak. Look at verse 42 through, or 32 through 42. It says, And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on, his, on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter and Simon, Are you asleep? Could you not watch even one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy. And they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping? And taking your rest, it is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And so again, here we see the contrast of Jesus and his disciples. And I think this is an encouraging text in many ways because we see our Savior struggling under the weight of obeying the Father. It was difficult for him to understand. See, he wasn't just going to die. As horrible as dying on a cross would be, but he was going to die and bear the weight of all of our sins in his death. And so sweat drops of blood come out of him and the weight of this moment lays on him and he falls to the ground and saying, God, if I can escape this, let me escape this. But I want you to see the humanity of Jesus. We are following a person who lived as a human being, fully human, fully God, yes, but fully human. And Jesus never took advantage of his deity to live out his humanity. He lived it as you and I live it in the strength of the same things that we draw strength on, and that is an intimate relationship with the Father. Notice what he does over and over again. He calls upon his Father, Abba, Father. Which is, which is an endearing term of trust in God and, and strength in God, saying, God, help me. I, I'm, I'm having a hard time shouldering what you're asking me to do. And so it was the intimacy with God that gave him the strength to obey him. That's the same thing we've got to do. And in fact, it was exactly what the disciples didn't do. Because he, he said, now look it, here's what you need to do. This is going to be a hard moment. Right? You're going to be tempted to desert me, just like I'm being tempted to desert the Father. You're going to be tempted. Now, here's what you need to do. You need to watch, and you need to pray. You need to be vigilant. You need to be on guard, because you are going to be in a battle for your very souls tonight, and you need to pray and be intimate with the Father, otherwise you won't stand. <laughs> and what did they do? Same thing we do at 5.30 in the morning when we ought to be praying. Right? Fell asleep. 
You ought to be praying sometime. It doesn't have to be 5.30 in the morning. <laughs> but look it. Look it. You and I won't stand unless we pray. You and I won't stand unless we're intimate with Jesus. Because we are told that we are in a war. That's why it says to be watchful, be vigilant. You're in a battle. There is a war, followers of Jesus, on your head. Part of it's the flesh that you carry around, but part of it is there is a Satan that wants to devour you, it says in 1 Peter 5, 8, and he's searching for a way to do it. And there's a world that wants to sink you that hates God. And you are in a battle every moment of every day to live for him. And you need to be vigilant, you need to watch, and you need to pray. And so, I, you know, I, I've tried to do this in my own strength so many times and just crash so many times. I've, I've kind of learned out of stupidity that, you know, I ought to get up and I ought to start by praying in the morning. So I do this now. I've been doing this for decades. And I just pray through every appointment. Every person I'm going to see that I know I'm going to see, I pray for them in the morning before I ever see any of them. Because I know if it's up to me, Something's going to happen, right? Something's going to blindside me. And whammo, I'm going to get it and I'm going to be in the flash immediately. And so I pray that God will protect my heart and He will guard me and He'll keep me vigilant and awake. See, I think most of our sins are not sins of just utter rebellion. Very few of us just set out in the morning to go do really stupid, evil stuff. Very few of us, right? Most of us are just caught off guard by something that comes along we weren't expecting that comes out of one of our friends' mouths or a colleague's mouth or somebody in our family and all of a sudden, boom, and the word that's used today in contemporary circles is we just get triggered and we're on this big cycle into the pit of hell, right? Fast as we can go. And it just, just gets us and sucks us down. We didn't even expect it. And that's why Jesus says, be alert and pray. Pray through your day before you start and walk in my strength. This is what Jesus did. And maybe if Jesus needed to do that, (laughs) maybe you and I do too, right? Yeah. All right. Now the story moves on, and we'll see again now Jesus' steadfastness as we see the disciples desert him. Verses 43 to 53. It says, And immediately while he was speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, And with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. And now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. The ultimate act of betrayal, a friend that had walked with him, and now he kisses him which is what a friend would do only to betray him. Verse 46, And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching and you did not seize me. But let the Scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. I want us to see here, this is a pretty rough scene. But here is Jesus, and uh, he has lived peaceably. He's been in the temple teaching in Jerusalem just this very week, and, and calmly and, and with great dignity teaching about God. 
And now here comes this group, this band of soldiers with swords and clubs, and, and they're coming to get him. And it elicits a, a violent reaction from Peter, it tells us in John, that he slices off a guy's ear. And in the first century, these kind of sword fights were common. They happened in arenas and gladiator fights. And there's a lot of descriptions of ears being sliced off in fights. And this was kind of a notable thing, but it was a picture of just a riot. It's, it's a horrible, messy scene. And this is what is going on. And they're coming to take Jesus, who has just been in the temple just teaching them. He's, what is going on with you? Couldn't you have just arrested me in the temple? And so he calmly steps forward and gives himself to the will of the Father and the Scripture might be fulfilled. And as he does, it says in verse 50, they all fled and left him. They all fled and left him. You know, just 20 verses earlier, and we read it earlier, They all said, we will die with you, Jesus. We will all go to our death with you. And here we are now, 20 verses later, and they all flee. Every one of them. And in verse 50, if you looked at it in the Greek, the word all lands as the last word, which puts it in what's called the emphatic position, which means this is the big word of this verse. All fled and left Jesus. Everybody. They all abandoned him. And so here they all go, running for their life. Now, these next couple of verses show up. And and, and when I read these for the first time this week, I go, what in the world are these verses doing here? What's going on here? Why, Why did Mark now suddenly for two verses drop this little bit in here? Right? Look at, listen, right? Here we are. They're all fleeing Jesus. And then, and then Mark chooses to drop this little bit right here. Look at. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. What is going on? It's like the first streaker that suddenly shows up in our text. What is Mark doing? Is he, is he a comedian or what? But I think he's making a really, really important point and a very graphic point. That when you run from Jesus and you leave Jesus, you leave with nothing. You are naked. You abandon Jesus, you have nothing in your life worth having. See? That's what's going on. And furthermore, it says when you abandon Jesus, you're crazy. <laughs> Right? I remember the 70s when these streakers first started to come out. Some of you have been around a little longer than others. And in the 70s in these athletic events, the streakers would go out on the field, you know, and run across. And, and we all go, they're crazy. Get them and book them. Right? Come on. Get them out the... But that's us when we flee Jesus. You leave Jesus, you're crazy. And you have nothing. That's the picture. See? Stupid. Right? Don't do it. Early on in my ministry, and we had some good friends in, in Nebraska, and they had a, a teenage daughter, and um, and uh, this daughter was prone to a little bit of rebellion, I'd say, and uh, some of you experienced this, and uh, and so 
she was, come to find out, she was sneaking away at lunchtime out of high school to go visit her boyfriend the next town over. Every day at lunch, right? Between these two towns were these gravel roads. Um, and so she would travel them at high speed, gravel roads, with very deep, big ditches on both sides of these roads, right? And she would race to see this boy every lunch period during the week, right? Well, the only God can do this, right? This is the way God is. He, he loves us too much to leave us in this foolishness, right? And so, sure enough, she lands in a ditch. She's lucky he, she got her life. But she lands in the ditch, you know, 911, here comes the emergency medical team, takes her to the hospital, Pastor Kevin gets a call, <laughs> right? And I walk into the hospital room, and there she is, she's fine, and she looks up at me, and she says this, stupid, 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 right? And she's saying what we see here. That when we run from God and we try to hide and we try to do our secret stuff and we get ourselves in this bad place, it just is unwise. Don't do it. You're like a naked streaker running from God and it's going to get you and you're going to look dumb. Now, here's the really good news of the gospel. This just hit me this week. You know, when we come to Jesus... It tells us, the Bible tells us, that he clothes us. And what does he clothe us in? His righteousness, right? So we run from him naked, and then when we turn to him and ask forgiveness, he clothes us in his righteousness. And you and I walk along as saints, as holy people, clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Beautiful picture. In fact, that's, that's the picture of Israel. In, in the book of Ezekiel, they rebel against God. And he says, you're like, you're like a naked person just sitting in your blood. And then I come along and I clothe you in my love and my grace and invite you. And I make you a child of the king. And I love you and I pour my favor upon you. And you become this amazing bride, child. That is God in his grace. That even when we run from him, when we come back to him, he clothes us in his perfect and beautiful righteousness. Now, this last little section is, again, about Jesus' faithfulness and faithfulness to the end. And we see in verse 53 this story of him now being taken before the council. It says, and they led Jesus to the high priest. And all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. And now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death. But they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimonies did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that it was made with hands, and in three days I will rebuild it again. Not made with hands. Yet even about this their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. And again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. 
And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. Sanhedrin, what is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving of death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. So here's Jesus now, um, taken before the Sanhedrin, the highest Jewish court in the land in the first century. And they have a trial. And it is a bit, quite a bit, of a kangaroo court because they actually broke every law of jurisprudence in the first century doing this. Because see, in the first century, it was required, in order to have a capital uh, sentence, it was required that you would have two witnesses that agreed. Hence, you have in this text all this effort to find two people that agree. (laughs) But no two people agreed. They all said something different. And so we are stuck, Sanhedrin, because we want to kill Jesus, but we can't even find two witnesses that agree. Furthermore, one of the cardinal rules of the Sanhedrin was that there would be no presumption about the worthiness of death for a capital offense. There needed to be a second day, a day later, where they would review the case to make sure they didn't have some presuppositions that weren't right. (laughs) And yet this group came in loaded for bear to kill Jesus. See? So they're breaking every legal law of the land in the first century. This is what's going on here. Now, Caiaphas, who was the leader of the Sanhedrin at that time, sees this is going nowhere. I mean, he, can't, he knows he needs to have two witnesses that agree. He knows he can't find it. And so finally, out of just frustration, he stands up. He said, this isn't going anywhere. There's, supposed to, there's about 70 people that are in the Sanhedrin. Have all these witnesses. Can't find two that agree. He stands up in the middle of them. And he begins to ask questions. He's got to figure out how to do this, how to pull this off. And finally, he comes up with this question. In verse 61, he says, are you the Christ? Are you the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus says, I am. I am. And (laughs) you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. See what Jesus is doing here? He says, look, I'm on trial with you today. Right? I'm on the trial seat, and you're going to make a decision about me today. And how you decide about me today will be really important because I'm coming back and I will decide about you. (laughs) How about that, huh? And Caiaphas rips his robe and says, blasphemy. Not stopping to think for a moment that Jesus might have been right, that he really was the Son of God. And so it is Jesus' own words, just as we have seen all along, that indict him. Jesus, the one who says, I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. I am the one who will come and judge all of you one day. And that was the testimony that put him to his death. And he chose it. Right? He chose it. So this brings us to this question. 
It is the question before them. It is the question before us. It is the question, the most important question of the universe. Who is Jesus? Who is he? Who do you say that I am? Jesus says. Right? And everybody in all history has to answer that question. And how we answer that question determines our standing with God. Because there is no way to the Father except through Jesus, the Bible tells us. And so how you answer this question turns about how you are with God. Jesus' sacrifice is the only way that gets you right with God through accepting that and trusting Him as Savior. So who is Jesus to you? That's the question we all have to answer. And uh, having lived in the city now for eight years, I think I hear about three really common answers to that question. These are the three I hear most commonly. One is, you know, he really didn't exist. He's just a legend and, you know, this is a myth that you all enjoy and enjoy it. Have your fun, right? I hear that a fair amount from more the atheist kind of people. Then others will say this, and this is probably more common. It's pretty common around our country, I think, overall, not just this city. But, you know, you know, Jesus was a good teacher. He had some good things to say. He was a good man. And this, this thing got a little bigger than he expected to the point of 1.7 billion followers. Right? He's just a good teacher. That, my gosh, it just got out of hand. Got big. I'm being a little facetious. But that's kind of what they say. It's like he's a good teacher and it just got big. And then I hear this one commonly. Jesus started out human, but he grew into God and became God. And then became our Savior. Created, lived well, grew into Godhead, and became our Savior. That's a common one in our city. All three of those are pretty common. But none of those are what Jesus says he is. He claims to be the eternal Son of God without beginning and without end. The Savior of the world, the one whom you must come and repent and be saved. The only hope for our broken and fallen nature. The only one who can save us and rescue us. The only one who can make us a child of God. And so who do you say he is? Band, you can come on up. I was talking to my friend yesterday across the street and uh, he and I have had a lot of fun together over years and laughed about a lot of things and shared a lot of things. And he has said to me, he has said, you know, Kevin, I don't really believe in Jesus, but here's what I like about him. I know he's gracious and so if I'm mistaken, he'll forgive me. Well, look, it, I am hoping for grace for every soul, right? But if you live your life opposed to Jesus and refuse to receive him and trust in his grace at the end, having never chosen to follow him or live for him or receive him, I don't want to be in that place, right? And so God invites us. In fact, I, I, I would just say, if there's any chance that there is a God that loves you so much that he would send his son to die for you, wouldn't you be willing to give that a chance? Right? In this hopeless world, 
And that's the God of the Bible. And he loves you more than you'll ever know. And he demonstrated by sending his son. That whoever would receive him would be made children of the king. The adopted child to live forever in the kingdom of our great God. That to me sounds like an offer I wouldn't want to refuse. Let's pray. So our Father today, impress upon us one more time your amazing love as expressed in Christ. Thank you that you loved us so much that you sent your Son to be the Savior of the world, that whoever would believe in you would not perish, but have everlasting life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
You know, one of the great things of ministry is the people you get to meet. And um, it doesn't take long in ministry to find out that there are, there are a lot of people sitting in the pews that are going to have a lot better view of the throne of Christ than I'm going to when we get to glory. And uh, some of those people, um, we want to introduce a couple to you today that many of you might not have met, but many of you have. Mike and Sonia Erich, come on up here if you would. Uh, they have been just faithful servants of God for many years. If there's faithfulness and wisdom and kindness, it is these people. And uh, they have been faithful down to Gateway for many years and came to us six, eight months ago. How long, how long have you guys? About six months ago. And um, come on up here. <clears throat> and in that amount of time, they have had some excitement at their home. Uh, Sonia was diagnosed with cancer and uh, had surgery and has had chemotherapy. And about two, three weeks ago, Mike was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And um, they said before the surgery, he had surgery a couple of weeks ago, they were giving him a 6% chance of living. Now they've upped it to 15%, is what he told me the other day. I'm sorry, that's garbled. It's still 6%. We're hoping he'll be able to have surgery. Okay, all right. So they have had a tough go of it here. And what we want to do is get around them as a family and um, pray for them. And also, on your way out, they're offering plates on the tables there next to the door. If you'd like to give an offering to help with them, with this, the expenses that come with this, that would be a very good and appreciated thing. But these guys have just been faithful. They are examples of what it means to serve God without needing all of the fanfare and attention. And um, I am thankful for these people. So if you'd like to come stand around them, Sean and Misty want you guys to come on up. Just come and let's lay hands on them together. And Frank and Julia, anybody that would like to, let's come and let them know. You know, the Bible says that God sets the lonely in families. And uh, we are family for these people. He has placed them here with us and we are thankful for them. Father, we want to say thank you for thank you for um, setting the lonely in families. Man, all of us are lonely at some time or another, and you give us a family. And, and as the church, we get to experience the family of God. Thank you, God, for Mike and Sonia and placing them here. I ask you in Jesus' name to touch their bodies. Father, you know, we're, we're not going to pray bigger than Jesus did. He said... If it be your will, nevertheless, if, it, if this cup can pass, let it do it, but nevertheless, your will, not mine. Father, we ask you to touch Mike's body in Jesus' name. Thank you that you are the God of 100%. You are the God of creation. You can fix what's broken. You made it. You can fix it. We ask you to touch his body in Jesus' name. Father, I ask you to touch Sonia's body and bring complete healing to her in this situation. Father, the greatest miracle that we ask for is would you please give them peace that passes any comprehension as they battle this thing that seems almost insurmountable. Would you use them as an example of the peace of your presence? God, you've used them in so many lives for so many years. We ask, Father, that you use them even in the midst of this difficulty to bring glory to your kingdom. Father, we rejoice that you love every one of us. And Father, we ask that your love would be known.
to them in great measure right now. And Father, I pray that um, us, your people, will be the hands of Jesus to them. We'll love them and gather around them and encourage them and strengthen them and walk with them. Father, you never leave us or forsake us. Thank you that you're a good God. So we commit them to you, to our church family, to you. Father, let this be a home, a safe home for all that come in weakness, as we heard from today. Whatever our weakness is, God, we need you. You be our strength today. Be Mike and Sonia's strength. And we pray in Jesus' name. And all the people said, amen. If you'd like to give offering toward their medical bills, you can do that in those offering plates that are on the table. Otherwise, be sure and pray for them this week. Let them know you're praying for them. You guys are a blessing. We're thankful for you. Encourage one another before you leave. Pray and watch this week. You guys are dismissed.